0: Scripture reading as mentioned earlier is Philippians chapter one verses nineteen and twenty. Philippians chapter one verses nineteen and twenty. Where Paul writes, For I know that this I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Good morning once again. We are thankful each one is here with us uh, this morning. Our lesson comes from Philippians chapter 1 as we begin looking at a few lessons. Uh, Next several weeks, looking at some lessons from the book of uh, Philippians. Chapter 1 has been titled by some as the purpose of life. If you look throughout chapter 1 of Philippians, you'll find the many things which Paul talks about when it comes to living a faithful Christian life. He talks about, it, as whether Paul mentioned a moment ago there, that scripture reading he says that he will not be ashamed but with all boldness as always so now also Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or by death you think about that last phrase in verse twenty whether by life or by death it means while he's living Christ will be magnified by the things that he does and if he dies he'll die in a way that he will be he will retain his faith you might say until death if his life if his faith cost him his life, that he's going to maintain his faithfulness. Many have said that the key verse, as we'll look at in just a moment, is Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. We think about this idea of how to live is Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's the Apostle Paul. Probably one of the most well-known verses of all the New Testament, at least of all the New Testament, You've seen those things, seen this verse many times on t shirts and things such as that. But it is a very strong statement to make. If you remember who the Apostle Paul was, we know that for his conversion, he was known as Saul, the one who persecuted the church. He was seeing to it that members and their children even were being drugged into courts. And he was even there, the stoning of Stephen. But following his conversion, rightfully so, he was a much, much different person. You can say that the Apostle Saul, who later became no, the Apostle Paul, became an entirely different person. Again, as we would expect. So much so, as we get to Philippians, as he writes those in Philippi, he says these words, For to me, to live is Christ. To live is Christ, as we understand this, it's very simple to understand, but it's also very You know, some things are easy to read but much more difficult to apply. To live as Christ simply means that he is going to live for Christ so long as he is alive. As long as his heart is beating, so long as his breath is in his lungs, his life will be devoted to Christ. He goes on to say in verse 21, and to die is gain. Now, to the world, no doubt, that's a very strange thing to think about. To die is gain. What? How can you die and still gain? Well, we understand, as you look at the Bible, that the Christian, when they die, if they remain faithful, they will gain, one day upon the judgment, they will gain heaven as their home. That's when the Apostle Paul says, to die is to gain. But let's notice the words of the Apostle Paul, but some of the words he also shares with others, for instance those in Galatians, in Galatians chapter two and verse 20. Again, another familiar section. He says, "I've been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me." You can say that's a commentary on also Philippians 1 verse 21, isn't it? The life which he now lives, he says, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was an entirely different person. This, again, will not be on the screen, but he looked at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, again the Apostle Paul speaking. We know the Apostle Paul was one who had put to death the old man in the old ways. That's why he says to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's why he says he's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. You go to Romans 6 and verse 6, he says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. The body of sin and the old man of the same things. The old man is the way of sin that corrupts man that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, no doubt implying that when we live as the old man does, that body of sin, that we are indeed slaves of sin. We look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And as we look at Galatians 6 and verse 14, Again, the apostle Paul speaking says, "But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world." What does that mean? He means that the, all, this world holds nothing for him except do the will of God. And again, you might say another commentary on Philippians one, verse twenty-one. Christ as we know, lives in the Apostle Paul. He was an inspired man of God. We look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting in the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Again, easy to read, very difficult to apply at times. We are have that mind of Christ. That's what it really means again to live is Christ. As you think about living for Christ, we also want to be mindful of some of the words the Apostle Paul uses to encourage others who are suffering. As we jump ahead a little ways here in Philippians chapter 1, jumping ahead to verse uh, 27 here in just a moment, I get ahead of myself here. First, Christ will be magnified, rather, he'll be magnified in, the, in his body, in the body of Paul. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, as what Paul read a few moments ago, it says, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I should be ashamed. I'll think about that for a second. My earnest expectation and hope is what? That in nothing I should be ashamed. That he doesn't want to do anything that would bring shame upon Christ. He doesn't want to serve Christ in a way that would be shameful or dishonorable. He says, with all boldness, as always so now also Christ will be magnified in my body. Notice how he says that. It's not a perhaps. It is a statement of this is what's going to happen. He says that Christ will be magnified in my body, which means that he is going to serve God in such a way that when person sees or hears him, they will see and they will hear Christ. That's what he's talking about. May be magnified in my body he says whether by life by what he does or by death, meaning faithful unto death, Christ would be magnified in his body. We go back to Romans chapter six this time looking at verse 13. Romans six and verse 13 says, "For unto the law until the law sin was for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law of the body." Is an instrument of that's the wrong verse. But the body is an instrument of, of righteousness. We think about I'm sorry. That's Romans 5:13. Romans 6:13. That might help. Romans 6:13. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? Romans 6:13. We are what? Our bodies can be instruments of righteousness or unrighteousness depending on how we are living our life. It can be used in a way that's going to be pleasing to God or displeasing to God. Romans 6 and verse 13. Our bodies can be instruments of sin. We look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, looking at verses 15 through 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through 18. Said, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, should become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord's, to the Lord is one spirit with him. He says here in verse eighteen, please, sexual morality, every sin that a man does outside a body, a man does is outside a body, but he who commits sexual morality sins against his own body. We he goes on to say in verse 19, how do you, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're, you are not your own? For you are bought at a price, verse 20. Our bodies can be used either to do righteous things to bring glory to God, or they can be used to do sinful things that do not bring glory to God. You know, we think about that idea there in verse 19 when he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It would not bring in someone to do wickedness into the church, that's the question he's asking us here when he says, you know, one who's joined to a harlot there in verse 19, in verse 15 and 16, rather, same idea. Our bodies are a temple of God. We do not bring sin upon it. We must use our bodies as an instrument of righteousness, not instruments of wickedness. Christ only lives in us as we imitate him. If we imitate Christ, we will do those things that are pleasing to him. And we will know we know that He lives in us so long as we do those things that are pleasing in His sight. But when we depart from the faith and start doing those things, continue to do those things that are sinful, we, we instead create a life of sinfulness. Christ no longer lives in us. That's why we find so many words of repentance found revealed throughout the Bible, including the New Testament as well. Next, we want to notice some Paul's words of encouragement to those who were suffering in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he tells them to be mindful of their conduct. To be mindful of their conduct. He said in verse 27, I want your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. To be worthy means it is one that is fit for someone who who has obeyed the gospel. We want our conduct to be worthy of the gospel. He says, he goes on to say in verse 27, So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He wants them to live a life or have a, that conduct that is worthy of the gospel, that whether he comes or not, that when he hears about them, it will be well-pleasing not just to him, but also, more importantly, to God. He says that if you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, We find that repeatedly throughout the Bible, how Christians are to be of the same mind, the same spirit, the same uh, heart. He says, striving together for the faith of the gospel, to have what? The obedient faith that we find revealed in the gospel. We are to have that faith in Christ and have that conduct that's worthy of someone who has obeyed that gospel plan of salvation. Being a Christian, example, means having a conduct that is honorable when it is discussed. When someone talks about us, and talks about the way we act, we want it to be in a positive way. We understand there are many times we make mistakes, but we want our conduct to be one that is honorable, that is good. Our conduct, above all, must be pleasing to God. And then he goes on to say in verse 28 through 30 of Philippians chapter 1, how we should not fear our adversaries. And I think our adversaries sometimes, if we're not careful, we put them as if they're only physical in nature. We think our enemies, we think that physical things of maybe or people or even sometimes the government or we think of other things that are physical in nature. When our adversaries sometimes are just simple temptations that really have no physical things. Temptation to sin, temptation to lust, temptation to to do things we shouldn't be doing. Those things are also our adversaries. He goes on to say in verse twenty eight and in no and, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries which is to them a proof of perdition. Now we know here in verse 28 he is talking about physical adversaries, but again, they don't have to always be physical. They don't have to always be, be a, a actual person or persons. Which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from and that from God, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. So they don't have to be terrified of the adversaries. Now, if a Christian is afraid of those who are non-Christians, we should not be afraid of them. We have to be those who stand up for the faith. When I think of those who are, are terrified of the adversaries, I think of those who will not speak up for what is right. I think of those who will not refute those who are saying things that go against God. Those who say things that are completely blasphemous. We must not be afraid of our adversaries. He says to them in verse 28, it's a proof of perdition. We must keep the faith. But to you of salvation and that from God. He says, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for his sake. So we must believe in Christ, but also we have to be willing to be those, as he says in verse 29, who suffer for his sake. We have to get used to having individuals who do not like us. And they should, not, they should not dislike us because we're rude or because of our harsh personalities. If someone's not going to like us, let it be because we stand up for the Word of God and we refuse to back away from it. If we don't have someone who dislikes us, let it be because we stand up for Bible principles and we reject those worldly sinful things that's going to separate us from God. Let that be the reason that others do not like us. Verse 30 says, Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now hears in me, Paul now says in verse 30, he says, "I've done what I've gone through the exact same things." He says, "I have had the same conflict. He says, what you saw me, and now you also what you hear is in me." Paul had dealt the same struggles as well. So we should not fear those who despise our faith and realize that suffering is a part of the Christian life. So things for us to think about our focus in life our focus in life should be God approved everything we we have different things in life which we focus upon and depending on what space in life it may be there's going to be some different things we focus upon but for the christian number one thing we should focus upon should be God and the church making sure that we are pleasing to God and making sure that we remain a part of the family of God which we know is the church that should be our focus and there will be other things below that, but that should be our focus, is God. When Christ came to the earth and He began His ministry, what was the focus of Christ? You and me. That was the focus. To get people to heaven. That was His focus. The focus of the Apostle Paul, he says here, what was His focus? To help get people to heaven. You can say literally that Christ's focus was to get people to heaven. Because without him, no one would be going. His focus was to teach and preach, to fulfill prophecies, to fulfill the will of God, to go to the cross and to die for mankind. That was his focus. And we know that also meant he would rise again the third day. His focus was the will of God. It would bring us the opportunity to go to heaven. Thereby, his focus was us. His focus was upon us. Our focus should be upon him, that we put him at first in our lives. We think about some things where some are focused upon. We know in 1, excuse me, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 7 that some focus on wealth. Some, this is different, not we sometimes we say wealth. Some people think, oh, you can't focus on your job. No, that's not what we're talking about. Focusing on work and doing a good job and focusing on wealth are not the same things. Focusing on fame. Honestly, in this world, I don't know anyone who really should want to be famous. Because it only draws attention, it only comes back to bite you. To so me, in my mind, who wants to be famous. But some do want that. What about pleasure in all its forms? Well, with this, we can go on and on. We look at wealth in Timothy 6, verse 7. We look at fame, 1 Peter 1, 24. We look at pleasure, 1 Timothy 5, verse 6. All those things are temporary in nature, aren't they? Well, temporary. Fame, very temporary. Pleasure, temporary. All those things will fade. Eternal life does not fade. The Christian must be strong and live faithfully. A weak Christian will not be able to stand during ridicule and hardship. A re- weak Christian is someone who doesn't know the Bible well enough and tell someone how to be saved. To me, that, in my mind, is a weak Christian. There's other ways to test it. If you get to someone the plan of salvation, we need to remedy that right away. If we are a weak Christian, it means we're not attending as we should. We make excuses instead of attending. If we're a weak Christian, we're not reading our Bible like we should. And what happens? We grow weak because we don't know the Word of God like we should. We can't answer questions. We can't teach people. We can't take advantage of opportunities. Weak Christian. We are weak Christian. We do not know how to understand how to respond to hardship and ridicule. Because one of the first things you find in the Bible is that when it comes to ridicule, you're not by yourself. You can't get through the Old Testament. You can't get through Genesis. (laughs) without finding people, he had ridicule. You can't get through Matthew without finding people, he had ridicule. You think about the birth of Christ? began with what? Persecution. Running and running and running and running and running. People dying and running until a king died, right? Ridicule, persecution. If we're going to endure those things, that the apostle Paul is trying to encourage us to do because we see he he endured tremendous ridicule, right? He was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he's beaten numerous times. He spent the majority of his, his the majority of his Christian life, so to speak, was actually probably spent in prison. And we have to be strong enough to realize that we to have to be able to respond to ridicule and to hardship. Ridicule and hardship Let's be honest, for some, it's getting up on Sunday morning. That's not ridicule and hardship. That's the Christian duty. Ridicule and hardship is listening to others saying, why are you doing that, and giving them a good, biblical response. Because that's when we start getting into the harder things, telling people why they're doing it, and actually standing up for it, and doing what pleases God, regardless of what other people think. That's hardship. And it takes takes place in many many ways. We must be an example of a faithful Christian for God if we are if we are to please him, if we're going to please God. we have to be an example of faithfulness. We want to be those that someone looks at us and say, "Well, I know they're a Christian because they're always going to they're always going to services all the time. Now for them, for some that's the oh, that's the only thing for faithfulness. We realize that's not all of it, that's definitely a big part of it, right? You can't be faithful if you're not present. What do we do? We must be an example of a faithful Christian for God if we are to please Him. We want to be those who actually desire to please God. We must do our best to be a godly example. We must do our best. We're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. But we shouldn't allow ourselves to think, well, I made a mistake, so I'm going to wait and start over in a couple weeks or a couple months. Start over the very next minute. I should have done that. I'm going to repent of it. I'm going to correct it. And I'm going to try to do better. The idea of waiting to a certain period of time, we're real bad sometimes saying, well, I'll wait till next week or I'll wait till Monday. Why? I missed reading this day, so I'm going to wait and start over next month. I've already missed two or three days this month. So what? We need to be those who start over and correct it immediately. You remember what Felix gained when he told Paul to go away for now? A more convenient time, I'll call for you. You remember what Felix gained when he told him to go away, when he procrastinated and said, just leave for now? What did Felix actually gain from that? Nothing. He gained nothing. The Bible actually tells us he kept Paul in prison as a favor to the Jews. He didn't gain anything by procrastinating, by waiting. It will actually cost him because we don't bring anything else about him. Obeying the gospel, it seems what happened to him was he lost his eternal soul. He didn't gain, he lost. We must make sacrifices as a Christian. We cannot be selfish and be pleasing to God. We talked about that a little bit this morning. We cannot be selfish. That is, worry about, say, Well, I want to do this. I know what God says, but I'm going to do this anyway. Sometimes we don't always say it out loud, but sometimes our actions sure do say it. I know what the Bible says, I'm going to do this anyway. Friends on Day of Judgment, don't be surprised when you hear what the Lord has to say to you. We must be those who realize how important it is to be faithful to God and to make those corrections as soon as possible. You know, sometimes I think we're not careful. We're kind of like that writing on that circuit breaker at home. You ever seen a circuit breaker where someone has gone through, they open it up and they write down what it is side by side. Of it? right next to it in pencil what happens to that it fades doesn't it but a Christian our faith should not be written in pencil should it it should be written in ink it doesn't fade we don't wipe it off that way when God looks at our faith on the day of judgment it's right there in clear bold letters I never went anywhere let our faith be that which is written in ink and not written in pencil. This morning, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage you in any way. You can come forward now as we, can, we stand and sing the song that's been selected. There's not a friend like a woman. no. no.